Amen. Thank y'all so much for that. Thank you, Shane, for sharing that beautiful song. Amanda and I have come to know that song over the last few Christmases and have really fallen in love with it and, and appreciate it. And I was excited to hear that Shane was going to share it. I know that some of you were thinking, you know, some of y'all feel like the, the day after Christmas, the tree should be down and the lights should be taken down and it shouldn't. And some of y'all are wondering, but Brother Zach's still preaching about Christmas. Brother Zach, you know, it's January 6th. Shane's still singing about Christmas. Look, we're just going to keep celebrating Christmas. Is that all right with y'all? Okay, good. Let's do that. Isaiah chapter 9. If you would turn there with me as we look again at what most people would call a Christmas message. What I just call a message of hope. Something that I need more than just one month out of the year. Hope. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a little bit of a catch-up. If you didn't get a chance to to listen to the podcast, you may go back and listen to that. This is a sermon that we began last week. The sermon's so long, I decided to make it two weeks. You're welcome for that. Um, But Isaiah chapter 9 is such a beautiful message. And last week, what we really did was set the stage for Isaiah chapter 9 by looking at Isaiah chapter 8, and and the two stand in stark contrast to one another. Isaiah chapter 8, where we looked last week, shows this this bleak picture. It shows a people, the Israelites, that have been taken captive, or they're going to be taken captive by the Assyrians, by a nation close to them that's stronger than them, that's bigger than them, this oppressor that's going to come in, and, and when Assyria comes in, they just... They completely take control. They're in charge. Israel, you'll do what we want. You will be ours. You are our slaves. And it shows these desperate, hungry, broken people. And and from last week, my favorite depiction of that, to really just lay out what things looked like for Israel, was a people living in darkness. And if any of you have been in that place of being broken, of being and such a deep hurt, and being in a place that you don't feel like you can get out, I think we can identify that darkness with the hopelessness that we sometimes feel, and that's what the people's life was like, day in and day out. But then we saw the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 9 that takes these same people, the exact same people that were hurting so desperately, and it shows the promise of hope that they had. It tells that there's light that's coming to the darkness. There's hope that's coming to the hurting. There's healing that's coming for the broken. And it promises that this healing is coming. And we did look in Matthew chapter 4 as well to see the identity of the light that was coming. And that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to look beginning in verse 4 of Isaiah 9. Uh, Last week we saw why they needed hope. And then we saw that the hope was coming. And today we're going to see more of What is that hope? Who is that hope? What does that look like? So if you would, look there with me in verse 4. We'll begin reading. It says, For the yoke of his burden, talking about the oppressor, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, give you a little bit of background because if if you haven't studied this text, then you probably feel like I just jumped in in the middle of something and I started in the wrong place. But but what we see here is, is Isaiah giving this prophecy and he's again carrying this idea 
that hope is coming, and he's telling us here what the hope looks like. What will our hope look like? What will it feel like? What will it be like? And so in verse 4, when he starts talking about, and we're not going to go through each of these individually, but he talks about a yoke of burden, and he talks about a staff, and he talks about a rod from an oppressor. These are all things that we can think of. Somebody that's stronger than you, somebody that uh, is bullying you, something that they are using to oppress you. That's exactly what he's talking about here. And he says, all of the things that are used to oppress you will be broken as on the day of Midian. And now, if you don't know that story, I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but write down this for those of you that take notes. Judges chapter 6. Go back and read Judges chapter 6. We usually call it the story of Gideon. Again, it's not the story of Gideon. It's the story of Israel. But God did use Gideon in a mighty way. Go back and read that story. But just really briefly, I'll give you a synopsis so what he's saying here makes sense. You have the Israelite people, and again, they've done something they shouldn't have, and so God is uh, punishing them, he is disciplining them, and he's using a group of people called the Midianites. As here it says Midian. And these Midianites are kind of like bandits. They are robbers, they, they live near the Israelites, and what they do, because there's more of them, and they're bigger, and they're stronger, is they wait and they let the Israelites live just like life is regular. Right, You live in an agricultural society, so you work your farm, and you work your garden, and you get all your crops, and everything's ready. And every day, life goes on just like normal. But then, at harvest time, the Midianites would come swooping in, and all of the Israelites would have to flee. They built houses, and, and they built caves, and dug caves in the hills, and they would run and hide. And the Midianites would come in, and they would take all of their crops... And they would take all of their livestock, and they would stay there as long as they wanted, and then they would go home, and there was nothing that Israel could do about it. It was this hopeless feeling of, you, you're an agricultural society, if you don't have crops, you can't live, so you have to plant. But you know just as soon as you plant and it gets ready, somebody's going to steal it, but you can't not plant because you couldn't eat, so you plant and then you watch somebody else steal it. And it happened year in and year out. For seven years, this happens. And in my mind, as I, as I think of something more modern that we might be able to identify with the same picture, the same idea, I think about a child. If you think about a, a small child and, and every day he's going to school and his mom says, look, you know, here's your lunch money, take your lunch money so you'll be able to buy something to eat today. And, and he goes to school, but he's little. And, and when he gets to school, every day the same thing happens. There's this bully. And the bully's bigger than him, and the bully's stronger than him. And every day, the bully comes up, and he steals the boy's lunch money. And what can the boy do? He's smaller. He, he's not as strong. He's not as old. He's not as smart. He doesn't have anything that he can do. He has to take money, or he can't buy lunch. But every day that he takes money, it gets stolen. And there's absolutely nothing on his own that he can do about it. And it's just this hopeless cycle. And that's why we see these people, again, we see this picture of living in this darkness, of hopelessness, of hurting day in and day out. And I know, again, as we talked about last week, that some of you feel like you're there right now. Different reasons, some of us because of things that we're dealing with, some, some of us because of things that our loved ones or our neighbors are dealing with. Maybe it's health-related, maybe it's not. 
Maybe it's fighting with depression. Maybe it's fighting with some addiction. But you understand exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about this hopeless state, this feeling of being somewhere that you can't get out of. But if you think about the child who has his lunch money stolen every day, he can't do anything on his own, but what, do you, what would you tell a child like that? What could he do? Who could he tell that could offer help? No, that's a real question, y'all. Who, could you, who would you tell the child? Who does he tell? Who does he go talk to about this? A teacher, right? A principal, a parent. If he, if he finally decides, I'm not just going to let this bully do this every day, well, I can't stop him, so what do I need? I need somebody who's stronger than me, but more importantly, I need somebody who's stronger than the bully, right? So I go and tell the teacher. Not a little teacher, not like Brother Zach, a big teacher, somebody that's stronger than the bully. And I tell them, or I tell the principal, or I tell my parent, and then they step in, and the cycle's broken. Right Now all of a sudden there's somebody that's intervening and the money's not be, being stolen. They have what they want and Israel does that. After seven years, they finally stop and cry out to God. And when they do, like a teacher stepping in, God steps in. And the Midianites who were way too big and way too strong for Israel to stand up to, stand no chance against God. And God sends Gideon and 300 men and completely destroys the Midianites, and the cycle's broken. And here is the picture that Isaiah is showing us here. He says, these people that have been hurting, that have been living in darkness, for you that are hurting, that feel hopeless, that are living in darkness, he says that there's coming a day when the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor are all the tools that are used to make you feel as hopeless as you do right now are going to be completely broken. Just like they were on the day of Midian, whenever the Midianites were completely defeated. And now Israel knew, if I plant crops, I'll eat those crops. And if I grow livestock, I'm going to get to harvest these livestock. Like the kid who says, now when I take lunch money, I'm going to get to pay and eat my lunch. Because somebody that's bigger and somebody that's stronger stepped in. And point one this morning is this. Christ sets us free from things that we can't set ourselves free from. Christ sets us free from things that we can't set ourselves free from. And I want you to really grasp that idea this morning. This idea of, of not something that, something that we could do on our own, but, but we just, Christ does it a little bit better, so we're going to let him do it. That's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about uh, a cycle that I could break on my own, that I could step out of on my own, that something that I could do, but, but Christ offers to help me. No, we're talking about things that when it's just me and this thing, I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't defeat it. Only Christ can. And again, I know for many of you, this is some, for some of you, this is a disease or cancer or something that you have been dealing with and that you have seen doctors, and that you have sought help, and they have done everything they can, and there's this idea that maybe things are going to get better, but you understand that on my own, I can't get rid of this. I can't defeat this. I'm not strong enough on my own. It's some sort of physical ailment, and it just wears on you every day of your life. And Christ promises healing. And now sometimes that healing's here. And sometimes it's whenever we go home to be with him. But he promises us healing from all of the things 
that ail us, from all of the physical things that plague us. For some of you, it's an addiction that you have fought for years. It's some substance that you're putting in your body. It's alcohol, it's some prescription drugs, it's pornography. It's something that you are taking into your body that is destroying you on the inside. And every day you say, I wish I didn't do this. And every day you do it anyways, because that oppressor is stronger than you are on your own. And you're trying to find out, how can I break this cycle? For some of you, it's, it's jealousy or it's grudges. It's hate, something that you have harbored in yourself against somebody else for so long that maybe you don't even remember why you hate this person or why you're jealous of that neighbor, but you just can't let go of it. Every time you see them, those feelings come up again. Some of you, it's pride or selfishness. But they're things that just drain our energy and ruin our days and make us feel hopeless and make us feel helpless because we can't defeat them. But the beauty of this message is Christ can defeat them. Christ is stronger. I don't know what it is, but I know this. Whatever it is, Christ is stronger than it is. Christ came and he lived a life on this earth and everything that ails us, he overcame, including death itself. Overcame all sin, overcame even death. Whatever you are afraid of, whatever hurts you, whatever makes you feel hopeless, God is stronger than it. And now how did he do it in the, the people of Midian? How did he get rid of them? He used Gideon. And 300 men. Now, if you know anything about the Midianite army, they're spoken of as being like this innumerable people. And so if you think one man who's not trained to be a military leader, Gideon, and 300 men who aren't really very good fighters either, we're not talking about the 300 Spartans here. We're talking about 300 Israelites, and they're nothing like Spartans. And you think about them defeating the Midianites, you'd say there's no way it would ever happen, but it happened. And God made it happen that way so that everybody would say, well, it had to have been God because they couldn't have done it on their own. He used Gideon and 300 men in their story. What does he use in our story? What does he use? Look with me in the rest of our text for this morning, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In our case, now you thought that it was surprising that he used Gideon and 300 men to defeat an army. In our case, he breaks addiction and he, he cures diseases and he takes away hopelessness and he brings peace and he heals nations and governments with a baby. And you talk about something that seems unlikely. That's exactly what it says here. For to us, a child is born. A baby is our hope. A baby born in a manger is our help. It's the identity of the light that's going to shine into our darkness and make our lives the way that it should be. And as improbable as it seems, here's the truth that we cannot miss. Aside from that baby, aside from Christ, there is no hope. 
There is no hope. I know some of you say, Brother Zach, there are doctors. Yes, there are doctors. And yes, there are doctors that are very smart and that may be able to, for a time, cure your body. But they cannot make you live forever. Yes, there are very smart uh, people that, can, that you can go to. There are therapists that can help you with your addiction, that can get you clean for a little while, but there are not people. There are no therapists that can remove the guilt of the sins that you have done. There are no doctors, there are no pastors, there are no teachers that can grant you eternal life, that can promise you that forever that your ailments will be taken away and that they will never come back, that you don't have to feel guilty, that you can live a life free of having to sin anymore. There are no people outside of one that could do that, and that one is named Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about getting clean for just a little bit. I'm not talking about having a good day. I'm talking about having a good eternity. I'm talking about not just staying away from sin for a week. I'm talking about staying away from sin forever. And I'm talking about the guilt of that sin being gone and the punishment of that sin being gone. And I'm talking about a life that is wonderful that you want to live. And there's only one person that can do that. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're a lost person, I sound like every preacher you've ever heard before. And that sounds like religious mumbo-jumbo. I absolutely understand that. The audacity of this preacher to stand there and tell me that the doctors and clinical therapists and teachers and politicians of this world are not smart enough and not good enough. Brother Zach, who are you to tell me that? I understand how it sounds. If you have no faith in Jesus Christ, I know how that sounds, but I'm here to tell you today that I'm just telling you what God has said, and God's smarter than all of them. He knows more than all of them. And it makes sense in this sense. Just give me just a moment. I'm about to close, but give me just a moment to explain it this way. In the story of a child who's having his lunch money stolen, doesn't somebody that's bigger and stronger stepping in make sense? Doesn't that make sense? A teacher can stop the bully, right? And the story of Midian, doesn't it make sense? Israel's a smaller nation. They're not as strong of a nation as Midian. So what do they need? They need somebody that's stronger than Midian to step in. In these stories, it makes sense. There's an oppressor, a bully, and there's somebody that's being oppressed, someone that's being bullied. And we all understand that. And what I'm telling you today is the thing that is hurting you, whether it's cancer or a disease or whether it's some sin or whether it's some addiction, the thing that is hurting you is simply an oppressor or a bully that is stronger than you are. You're not as strong as cancer on your own. Your body is not. The diseases that we deal with, we're not as strong as those. Our bodies aren't made to heal themselves. The addictions that we fight, we're not strong enough to break those on our own. The sins that we deal with, whether it's 
pride or lust or selfishness. We're not strong enough to overcome those on our own. They're like bullies that are stronger than us. And sin makes us bend to its will. It makes us do what it wants us to do. On our own, we cannot defeat it. So what do we have to have? We have to have a teacher that we can go to and say, this bully won't leave me alone. And the only one that you can go to that's stronger than all of those things is Jesus Christ because he's God. Because he's the maker of all things. Because he's the sustainer of all things. So what you need to do is go to him. So that he can be the one that steps in. Point two. The last point I have. Dr. Bob's not going to like that. Two points today. Our greatest oppressor is sin. I know that for some of you today that are here that have a, some sort of ailment, physical disease. For some of you that have just recently lost a loved one or that fear losing a loved one very soon, for some of you that are fighting an addiction, you feel like that thing is your greatest oppressor. You feel like that thing is the one thing that if you could get rid of it, that your life would be better. Some of you feel like it's some sort of political oppression. You don't like the government that we have, and you feel like if we could fix that, that things would be better. For some of you, it's financial pressure. If I had more money, then things would be better. This is the one thing that I need more than anything else, but I'm here to tell you today that the one thing that you need more than anything else, no matter who you are, is freedom from sin. If y'all were the type of church that liked to stay late, and I know you're not, I would take you to Mark chapter 2, and I would show you the picture of the lame man one of my favorite stories in all the scriptures. The lame man who his friends take up his mat and carry him. Y'all know the one they tear a hole in the roof and lower him down. He's there before Jesus. And Jesus looks at this man who hasn't been able to walk, who can't get a job, who can't support himself, who can't support his family. Who probably thinks if I could just have my legs healed, I could get a job and I could have an income and I could be uh, not such a detriment to society and I could be happy. I could be like everybody else if my legs were just healed. And Jesus looks at him and says, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. And everybody said, Jesus, he didn't come to you to have his sins forgiven. Jesus says, I don't care about his legs. What he needs is his sins to be forgiven. And I'm giving him the best thing that I can give him. And you're here today and you might think, Jesus, this is what I want you to heal. And he says, the first thing that I need to heal is the guilt inside of you because of your sin. And if you're here today and you have missed that point, if you're here today and you have never came to that place, you came here today hoping that you would find healing for your body. I'll tell you that there is a promise of healing in Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to tell you that it's going to come in the time that you want it to. You came here today hoping that he would break the cycle of addiction, that he would help you with your selfishness, that he would help you uh, with cheating, or with these things that you're doing. I'm going to tell you, he can do those things. He can do all of those things. But the number one thing that you need is to recognize that sin is your biggest problem. That if he healed your disease and left you in your sinful state, that you'd be healed for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and you'd die and go to hell forever. That if he helped you get away from addiction, at this place you'd probably go and find it at some other place. But whenever he comes into your life, he takes away 
the slavery that you have to sin, and now you're free to live the rest of your life without sin. And you're free to live eternally without sin. And you get to live without the guilt of all the things you've done before because they're forgiven. And you get to live in Him forever. Brothers and sisters, we come today, and this is what I have to offer you. A child born in a manger. A baby who I promise you is stronger than anything that ails you, but who also reminds us the one thing that we need most is Him. It's Him. He's the one that frees us from all the things that hurt us. If you came today hoping that He would give you a benefit, I pray that you would leave here wanting Him more than anything else. I want to invite you all to stand, and we're going to have a time of invitation, and if that doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. I would love to explain it some more. Come and tell me. Come and find me after the service and say, Brother Zach, can we talk about this? Can you explain this a little more clearly? I would love the opportunity to do that. If you need to come and pray at these altars because you have overlooked Christ, looking for benefits from Christ, I pray that you'd be reminded today that He is the gift. He is the one that has brought you hope. He is the one that has saved you. And He's done it through His own blood on a cross, paying for your punishment. This morning, if you need to do something else, do that where you are praying. If these altars come to me, but you do what the Lord leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.